Thank you, worship team. All right, now I don't know about you, but flowers are kind of known as like the international symbol of romance, but most of my life, flowers are kind of known as like the international symbol of I messed up and I'm sorry. Like, I, I want to I fix what I did with flowers, at least with my wife, that, that, that's what, how it works. Um, here's some flowers, and it's one of those things that we have this natural compulsion in us, and you've done this before in different ways, I know, where when you make a mistake, you want to fix it with some sort of actions. Like, you, you want to take some steps, and there's things that, at least in my life, like if I come home, or my wife is coming home, and I've been cleaning the house like crazy, and the dishes are done, and I'm vacuuming, and like the lines are perfect, she's like, what happened? <laughs> like, what plans are changing, or like, what, what is going on that is causing this behavior that, that you're obviously trying to balance things out for? Like there's that, that, that natural thing. Oftentimes when we get into that thing of like, I have to fix this, like I messed up, I need to do some things to correct the mistakes that I've made, you know, at least for me, I, I could be vacuuming and I try to clean out the vacuum thing, like, and I take the, the filter off and, and the thing out and I'm trying to dump it and I make a bigger mess and it kind of compounds. There's lots of times where when I'm fixing something, I have to fix things because I was fixing something. And I don't know, maybe that's happened to you. It's happened to lots of other people. There's a phenomenon that it's called. It's actually called the cobra effect. Kind of fun, fun history point. You, you can remember this for when this happens in your life and someone's fixing something too much. You can be like, this is just the cobra effect. When, when England was occupying India, they weren't very comfortable with the amount of venomous snakes that were around. I can understand that. But their, their idea of how they were going to fix this, they put a bounty out on the cobra's in the, the country and would pay anyone who brought them a dead cobra. Please make sure that it's dead before you turn it into the government office, right? And as they did this, entrepreneurial Indians decided this would be a great time to start a cobra farm. And so what happened is they started raising cobras and just turning them in as they matured. And then eventually England figured this out. And though the snake population was going down for a while, once they no longer were paying the bounty, all the cobra farmers were like, well, I don't want to harm my poor little cobras if I don't have to. So what did they do? They released them. And what happened? There was a greater population of cobras now because of how they were fixing the problem. There's often times where we will set about fixing something and we can create something far worse than how we started. And it's true in relationships. It's true in marriages. It's true in friendships. It's true in governments. It happens and it's true in spiritual matters as well. And across the world, across cultures, there's this compulsion. There's a natural thing that, that is designed into us. And when we look up at the skies, there's part of us that says, there has to be a God. The heavens declare it. There's something inside of us that, that guides us towards that there is morality. And so there's this God, and, there's, and we know that we've messed up, and so with, when someone doesn't know exactly how they're supposed to get connected to God, their natural reaction is, I just need to do a bunch of good things. Because when I get to the end of my life, I need to make sure the good things outweigh the bad things so that I don't go to the bad place. And what this does is, if someone is really committed to, I'm just going to do all the good stuff, it creates this, this concept of I'm better than you because I do so much better than you. And that kind of thinking, first of all, isn't biblical. Second, it's not helpful. And incredibly important, it's not true. You cannot 
do enough to earn a righteous standing before God. I want to illustrate it to you like this. Say each one of these nice white sheets represents a good deed. You know, I took my dog for a walk and he pooped in my neighbor's yard, the one that I don't really like, but I picked up the dog poop anyway. Good deed. God loves that. I was kind to my neighbor. Love thy neighbor. Good deed. He's going to love that one day. When I take my life and I present it before him of all the good things that I've done, he's going to love that one. Um, You know, I was at Publix and I actually put my grocery cart back in the corral. Good deed. God loves that. I'm so generous. I went to Aldi and I gave someone else my cart with the quarter still in it. Good deed. God's going to love that. I'm going to be so righteous before him. I gave my wife a back rub with no strings attached. That is a really good deed, right? Yeah, that's right. I know. All right. Um, I, I gave money at church, and there was a comma in it. Good deed. God loves that kind of stuff. I did every single thing that Mother Teresa ever did that was good in her life, and I did it three times. I was pretty awesome. I didn't curse. I didn't lie. I went on a mission trip. Good deed, good deed, good deed. And while I'm on my way back from my mission trip overseas, while listening to Christian music, witnessing and sharing the gospel with my neighbor on the plane, the engines gave out, the plane crashed, my life ended, and it was my turn to present what my life had done before God. And what scripture tells us is that our good deeds, they look like this before God. Mother Teresa's good deeds, they look like this in the presence of a holy God. Every saint, every pastor, every priest, every parishioner, every believer in Christ, no matter how good they thought they did. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. And this is what scripture says about earning righteousness, about how good our good deeds are in the presence of a holy God. And we'll put this on the screen as I read it. It says, all of us, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We shrivel up like a leaf in the wind and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Now I want to tell you, that the Bible translators, they sanitized the word filthy because the word filthy in Hebrew is so filthy that they didn't want to write it because they didn't think that you'd want to read their translation of the Bible if they wrote it properly. And because I'm young and foolish, I will tell you what the word filthy in this passage means. The word filthy, all of your most righteous deeds, all of Mother Teresa's most righteous deeds, the person you look up to in the faith, all of their most righteous deeds in the presence of a holy and righteous God, this is to the Hebrew, are like used menstrual rags. Yes, ew. I was going to color these red, but I thought that was a little over the top on the illustration. Yes, you're welcome. But this is important theologically, and this is important practically because it should affect your attitude and how you relate to other people. Because if there's ever some sort of sense 
of our pride beginning to, to, to grow up after a few years of following Jesus, we get some things right, we get our marriage fixed, our kid starts doing the right things finally, and we begin to have some sort of sense of pride of, oh, just look at me, look at how big and bad I am in the faith. I'm a big, bad believer. I do what God says and everything goes right for me. Here's what your righteous deeds look like. This is about you. And this is about that notion that we all have. That if I'm going to relate to God and I want to, I need to do good things. I need to do a lot of good things to outweigh the bad so that one day when I die, God God will accept me. You're saying, I want to earn righteousness, and Scripture will tell you time and time again, place and place again, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of our righteous deeds are like filthy, filthy rags before him. You can't do enough good deeds to remove the sin that is in your life. You can't do it. But there's something in us that just cries out and says, but I know I'm supposed to be connected to God, and you are. But God has loved you through generations. Before there was a word that proceeded from your mouth, God has loved you. And from the very beginning, when when men and women fell in the garden and they chose sin, God had been planning your redemption. But it wasn't going to be through what you could do. It was going to be what, through what only God could do. In Genesis, at the fall, when, when he began to say that the Son of Man is one day going to crush the head of the serpent, he was beginning to talk about what Jesus would do one day. In the book of Isaiah, when the prophet was talking about the birth and the ministry of the Messiah, he was painting that picture. In Jeremiah 30, 31, when it just straight out said, I'm going to create a new covenant with my people, and it's not going to be like the old covenant. It's not going to be written on tablets of stone, but it's going to be written on their heart. He was talking about what Jesus would do. And there's so many miraculous things. It amazes me that in the book of Psalms, written generations before crucifixion was even used to put someone to death, it talked about how his hands and his feet would be pierced. There is evidence after evidence that shows us that this Jesus who lived and was born of a virgin was completely different than anything else we had ever seen because everything that has been created was created by him and for him and through him. He was God in flesh. And so when he lived, he never chose sin once. Whereas our good deeds were mixed in with with, with destructive choices and sins, his good deeds were were different. In Matthew 4.11, it talks about how he was, he was tempted by the devil out in the wilderness. And, and when Jesus was tempted and he was hungry, he didn't respond by getting hangry like we do. He responded by speaking back to the devil and saying, man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word of God. And it was a good deed. In, in Matthew 4, when the devil took him to the highest mountaintop and Jesus came to reclaim his people, he, he came and, and we're, we're told with the Great Commission to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to every nation, every people group, to the ends of the earth. And the devil took Jesus up to the mountaintop and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory. And he said, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. And he said, we worship the Lord alone. He didn't take the shortcut to get what he wanted. When his friends abandoned him, when his friend betrayed him, He still honored God. 
When the legal system did something that was destructive and they sentenced him to death, though he did not deserve it, he still continued to walk in integrity to the point that his own blood was being spilled. He continued to honor God, even to the point of death. Jesus is the only one who has ever lived the sinless life. And he did that because he was paying a penalty for you that you couldn't pay for yourself. Because though when the work of our life is poured out and revealed to be the mess that it is, all of the works of his life, they come together to form something that's larger. And there's a theological term called atonement that gets tossed around in churches that Christ atoned for our sins. And it can be kind of hard to understand, but there's a reality that our sins happen and they exist. But when scripture says that Christ atoned for our sins, what it's saying is that the righteousness of his life, of all that he did, when we receive forgiveness in his name, he covers all of our sin. And this is the theological concept that is just so important because it shifts the perspective from look at how good I've done, look at how good I am, to look at this amazing grace that is only found in Jesus Christ, that he covered over all of my sins. And this should affect the way that you relate to God. This should affect the way that you pray to God. Because when our sins are atoned, this is how God sees you, the righteousness of Christ's life. The perfection of Christ completely covering your life. And so when God says, I see you like a child, and you say, no, you don't understand all my baggage, all of my mistakes that I committed adultery, that I stole, that I did time in prison. You don't understand. Your past, it has been covered by the blood of Christ, and the blood of Christ is powerful enough to cover anything that you've ever done. And this is the message of the gospel. The gospel is not something that makes bad people good. It's something that makes dead people alive. It's something that brings you back to life spiritually. And it puts you into a relationship with God where he sees you with the same love that he sees his son, Jesus Christ. And this is what is offered to you. I want to read you a passage from Romans that that describes this. It says, blessed, Romans 4, 7, if you have your Bible, and we'll put this up on the screen. It says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. It's a blessing to receive forgiveness in Jesus' name. It's a blessing that you can enter into a relationship with God where you're not asking yourself, have I done enough good to outweigh the bad? It's not biblical, it doesn't work, you can't pull it off, but you are invited by God to have all of your sins covered. And this is what the response is like. When we reach that moment where our heart believes and we understand that Jesus is Lord, he's not a mere man, he was God in flesh who lived the perfect life to die on the cross for me. When our heart believes that, and it grows to where we have enough confidence to speak of it. That's what Romans 10.9 talks about when it says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you'll be saved. There's a moment where it's not something that's contrived, it's not something that's forced upon you, but it's something that you recognize. I need to take a step of making my faith my own. When you reach that point and you overcome the fear and those voices, because I know those, there's a, those fear and voices that kind of step in when you're like, I need to get things right with God. It's like, no, you should have got it right 10 years ago. You're in your 40s now. How are you going to just start a relationship with God? You should be embarrassed of yourself. You just stay where you're at, keep living how you have, and don't take a step. And there's that fear that'll keep us from going. There's that guilt that says, but all the things that you've done, you're going to try to get right with God now? Listen, first of all, an eternal perspective and a heavenly perspective. When you're on the edge of getting things right with God, heaven doesn't look down and say, oh, but you've messed up so much. No, when you get right with God, scripture tells us that heaven rejoices, that there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. So first of all, heaven loves it when you finally get it right. Second of all, the church. Well, there's these people around me, and I'm retired now, and I should have had my relationship with God figured out. The people of this church and the people of the other churches in the city that I know, we want other people to find the same joy that we have. And there is nothing but joy and celebration when someone decides, I'm finally going to step forward and get my relationship with God right. Because just like you, we're just a mess that Jesus has covered over. We're just broken people that have discovered grace. And the thing about it is that it's not just dealing with eternity. It has impacts on right now. I remember that moment where I finally said yes to God and I thought I was just dealing with heaven and hell and I had no clue how much healing was about to come into my life. I had no clue how many things that were broken inside of me because of things that happened when I was young, because of decisions that I made, all of these broken pieces that I just thought, that's just how you feel in life. I thought anxiety and fear and worry was just what it is. I thought loneliness was just what it is. And God has so much more for his people than that. And when you invite God into your life, all of his attributes show up around you. There, there is peace in his presence. There is no fear in his presence. There is joy in his presence. And scripture says, when you invite Jesus into your life and you become one of his children, you are now attached to the body of Christ, which is the church. And believe me, I know she's dysfunctional sometimes, all right? I'm surrounded by y'all. I know it. But it's still the church. And you're supposed to be connected in a way where you just can't, you can't go through life without them because you know that they need you and you know that you need them. The church is supposed to be something where broken people are supporting each other. And when broken people support each other and they, they chase after God's will, that's the church in a city. And that's what we're supposed to be doing and so I want to dial back to the heart of today. The heart of today, I hope it's a reminder about good works and what matters forever. But the heart of today is, is about you. Is your relationship with God right today? Have you slipped out of it or have you never gotten started with it? 
Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to wrap this thing up. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Your invitation isn't just to receive forgiveness. Your invitation isn't to just have his presence as you go through this life and then it stops one day. The invitation is to be part of the family of God, to belong forever. And it's an invitation that has to be received. And I want to encourage you to look inwardly today. Have you authentically decided, I'm going to follow Jesus with my life? Because if you haven't, now is the time. Don't go through another week without him. And right now you are surrounded with people who are praying for you, who are cheering you on. But it's a decision that only you can make. And it's as simple as these things. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I know it in my heart. I know it in my head. And I have the audacity to to make the statement that I believe it personally. To know that he rose from the grave to give you new life. Because spiritually, that is what's happening. He moves us from death into life. And I forgot, thank you, Bree. There's no closing song today because of the trunk or treat. So my tech people were all freaking out because like, oh no, there's no band. It's just habit. I call for the band. And so it dials down. So you can, you can know this illustration. You can understand this. I hope this is simple enough to understand. What Jesus did is enough to cover all of our sin. But it's a gift that you have to receive. And so I'm going to pray. And there's many people who have a decision to make. And I want to let you know. We'll have a prayer team that is here to receive you if you need to talk. But you can have a family around you as you step in to saying yes to God. Let's pray together. With every eye closed and every head bowed, Lord, we acknowledge that you are our Messiah, you are our Savior, that you lived a perfect life to pay for the sins that we could never pay for on our own. And I pray for anyone who hasn't made that decision that you'd give them the courage to enter into a right relationship with you today, to allow you to cover over all of their sins. And I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward to the front, but I'm going to challenge you to just put a small physical action to what is spiritually happening in you. That if you today are saying, I am getting my relationship right with God, I am starting my relationship again with him today, would you just raise your hand right where you are so I can pray for you? I see you. I see you. Praise God. I see you. I see you. That's great. You can put your hand down. I see you. Praise God. Awesome. Father, I pray for, for those who are taking that step, and I thank you for the courage that is in their heart, and we, we recognize that, Jesus, you are Lord, and I pray that you would fill them with new life, that you would fill them with hope and joy and peace that only comes from you. 
And we are thankful for the grace that is given to us through faith that we don't have to earn it, but it is freely given as we come to you and enter into this right relationship where you are our Heavenly Father and we are your children. We thank you for having a church that surrounds us and encourages us. Help us to hold each other up as we pursue living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate people who gave their heart to God today? That's awesome.